Welcome to Darkly Lit, where we get lost in the woods for six days in hopes that maybe we'll win the lottery and buy a house for our commune, maybe build a treehouse while we're at it. I'm one of your hosts, Kayla King. I am joined by my other two amazing co-hosts, Sade. I brought Oreos. And my other incredible co-host, David. That's Mr. Gato to you, Raul. We just read the first three parts of Imaginary Friend by Stephen Chabowski. Uh, This will be the start of a long journey for us as we go through this book and basically analyze it in depth. Uh, It's a very long book, as we've discussed in the previous episode. So we're starting at one piece at a time. And actually, I feel like we do have enough for the first three parts or enough to discuss for the first three parts. So mm-hmm. I think we have a good chunk. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, David, you want to provide a summary? So you're putting me on the spot for this one, huh? Okay, let's see what I can do here. Our story is set in Pennsylvania. It starts 50 years prior where we are introduced to little David Olson, who uh, in a very confusing bit of uh, in- prologue is fleeing something or trying to get to the Mission Street woods while avoiding the so-called hissing lady we get little hints and snippets of something that we're going to see in the future but all is not revealed until a little while later we jump ahead 50 years to meet uh kate reese and her son christopher who are on the run from an abusive boyfriend uh they have come to uh, mill grove in order to start a new life kate doesn't have a lot of prospects she's just trying to get away from her crappy life and the uh sort of the memories of the uh, suicide of her husband christopher's father and uh, while she is working on getting themselves, the, the two of them, settled in Mill Grove while living in a hotel, Christopher starts going to school. He makes a couple friends, for the first one being uh, Eddie, or Special Ed, as he's known throughout most of it. Uh, we lo- do learn that Christopher is dyslexic, and he does struggle with some other aspects of his learning. And uh, he, he feels like he has a lot to prove to his mom. Because he's been trying to be the man of the house since he... I get the impression he's like living in his father's shadow a little bit in a strange way. But the important thing that happens is Christopher follows a cloud face on a strange whim. As you know, strange things start happening to Christopher after they come to this town. Into the same woods that David Olson disappeared in 50 years prior. He's missing for six days and when he emerges... He's fine, but he has no real memory of what happened in there. But his dyslexia is basically cured. Not only that, but things that didn't click for him suddenly click. He seems smarter, and he seems maybe a little bit more coordinated. But he's now dealing with frequent headaches. Um, he says he claims that he was rescued by a someone he just refers to as the nice man. Although really, it was um, Mary Catherine who happened to be driving in the right place in the right time in her car. That poor Catholic girl. Um, we'll talk about her later. Uh, Kate is, of course, relieved, and um, his return also marks a, a, a successful math test, which proves that Christopher is suddenly getting it before everybody else could. At an age level, maybe he shouldn't. 
those math test scores end up being winning lottery numbers, which allow Kate and Christopher to have their own house and pay off most of the debt. Uh, Chris makes a couple more friends, the uh, Matt and Mike, the twins, or the M&Ms as they're known. And, um, but he still has this nagging headache and this need to return to the woods. More uncanny stuff keeps happening to him that kind of pushes him back in that direction. Eventually, he wanders back out there again and gets the instructions from a plastic bag that he perceives as the nice man to build a treehouse. Why? We're not entirely sure yet. Only Christopher really knows. But he manages to recruit his friends to help him build the treehouse. The idea is to have the treehouse built by Christmas Day, or for or there will be some nebulous form of consequences. Uh, while they are doing this treehouse building process and sneaking away from their parents in order to do it, they inadvertently find a human skeleton. More importantly, a child's skeleton buried in a coal mine. And... Uh, they get in even more trouble as a result. There's now kind of this bizarre rift between Christopher and his mother as a result because she knows he's lying to her, but he can't. she can't get him to tell the truth. And Christopher knows he can't tell her the truth because who would believe him? His imaginary friend told him to do all these things. Not to mention it seems like there is certain other forces mustering to come after him. Uh, implied to be connected to the hissing lady that David Olson was afraid of as a child. He has a weird conversation with Bad Cat on TV. Uh, but eventually he does convince his friends on a snow day that he might have conjured himself to go and finish the treehouse. And once the treehouse is finished, Christopher steps inside the, for the first time. And that is where we ended part three. So what do you guys think of this book so far? I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, I was kind of like disappointed. It's like, oh, I have to stop and wait here. So like once we're done recording this, <laughs> uh, we have a, a, a different book we're reading for next episode. because we're going to take a break between this part and the next parts that we're doing. But like, I'm also going to be continuing with Imaginary Friend because I'm like, you know what? I'm invested. I, I like the story. There's there's some elements that remind me of a short story or a novella that I'm writing where I'm like, okay ominous thing living in a tree children being lured to it um but like it's kind of fun (laughs) (laughs) i am uh having a hard time thinking of us breaking away from this to go to another book right now i mean i'll I'll do it i'm happy to do it but this is a hard one to put down i've been having a really Mm -hmm. good time with it the writing Mm -hmm. flows really nicely um the mystery and the little details are intriguing uh, I've been really looking forward to discussing this with both of you uh, and just kind of talking about what we know so far, because we're we're we are not even like maybe we're maybe what a quarter of the way through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not even that far. So that's exciting, knowing that we have a lot more uh, to look at. No, I was immediately hooked. Um, I so I actually looked up some things about Stephen Chabowski because I know he was a screenwriter as well. I did read his previous book Perks of Being a Wallflower and I did enjoy his writing in that I actually did enjoy that book but his screenwriting (laughs) so he wrote the screenplay for Rent and he also directed Dear Evan Hansen Uh, well he directed his own film the based off his book he directed uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower which actually wasn't terrible. Didn't he write the screenplay for the live-action Beauty and the Beast? Yep. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> if you and if you guys don't know, I'm not totally fond of those the writing in that either all of them. So uh yeah. This is only his second novel. This is only his second novel. Maybe he, he should write more books in all honesty. Yeah, he should write maybe, more books. Maybe like cuz I mean he I think Perks of Being a Wallflower is great. This is really engaging. I I'm actually tempted to just keep going for the next month instead of stopping and reading another book. What if we leave it up to listeners to decide? Like, we'll just put a quick poll out with this episode. Be like, hey, do you guys want to take a break or keep going? Ooh, I like that. I like that idea. Because I would be totally fine with that. Yeah, we'll have a month to do that. And I'm going to keep reading this, even if... (laughs) Yeah, regardless, I think we're all going to keep reading. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because the, uh, the story we chose for the break is, is a very short story. We can get it done in a day, if not a night. So either or. like I'll, I'll pitch the what the book world suggests is for February. And if you guys are more interested in reading that, I'll, I'll suggest it at the end of the podcast. Uh, if you guys are more interested in reading that, let us know. Or if you want to keep reading this. It is a long book. So mm-hmm. that's why we wanted to spread it out and not dedicate basically four yes. months to this. But we also, we, we were thinking we would have breaks. Uh, we like split it up to like four episodes, right? I think was the plan. It was four or three. Mm-hmm. And the reason we decided we would do that and have a break with we read something else in between was because we were worried we would get a little burnt out. But clearly we're not burned out and we're eager to continue. So if uh, listeners are also feeling that way, then there's really no reason for us to take a break. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we'll we'll put the poll out there and see what, what people want. I mean, I all almost all the characters in this are actually really interesting. I like Christopher. It kind of switches between different characters' voices. The main one being Christopher. Mm-hmm. Who does feel like a seven-year-old boy. Like, yes. I completely mm-hmm. believe him as a seven-year-old boy. I think Chabowski writes the kids really well. Yes, he does. Yeah. yeah. Kids also make fun of, like, the whole floods, floods. Um, I don't know if people still do that joke, but maybe they do. I've heard people use that taunt, like, when my mom was in school. <laughs> I've never heard it before. I didn't get it. I was like, okay. I hadn't either. Is it because his pants are rolled up? So the term behind floods is the fact that your jeans or your pants are so high up that you can basically see your ankles and like you're waiting for a flood. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, that that was actually a term is it, my is mom it? said that she heard when she was in as a kid. So how much you want to bet Jenny Herzog is a girl out of time? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like she's also someone who seems to reach because even later in the book, when he gets new pants, she keeps saying floods, even though it's not even necessary anymore. Well, they're like, they're all, what, seven and a half or eight years old, Yeah. Right? So they're not, like, what I kind of appreciate is that they have the mentality, they really do have the mentality of seven-year-olds, and the kind of insulting that they kind of do is, is, bleh. It's, uh, it's very limited. <laughs> yeah. Th- this also is a small town, too. Like, you could tell... Uh, yeah, everybody knows everybody, it seems like. Yeah. We, keep, we keep seeing a lot of the same characters bumping into each other a lot, and it makes sense considering how small the town is. Considering the Collins family owns, like, just about everything in town, it feels like. Like, they own the nursing home. Uh, Mr. Collins is planning on tearing down the Mission Street woods to make way for a housing development. That's another key point in the they plot. They have a sheriff, like... The town has a sheriff. Does the sheriff... Has the sheriff ever been given a name, or is he just the sheriff? He has a name. He has a name. Hold on. I think maybe I, I can't read remember it. the sheriff's yeah. name. Is it like Bailey? 
or something? Ah, uh, nope, I didn't write it down. I missed it. Ah, uh, I can because I just keep seeing the it. only I have I have sheriff in quotations a bear of a man with three little hearts. <laughs> Bear like, of a man. Because that's what they, they described him like that. I think yes. in Worm Kate's perspective, a bear of a man. And I was like, oh man, I love being there. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about hands? Because we know Kate has a thing for hands. <laughs> well, they were described lovely. Like, I, I would enjoy these man's hands. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I also liked how later we find out that um, they'd gone to dinner and then they just basically got in, uh, was it Kate's car or the sheriff's car and just made out? <laughs> like they were in high school. I, that was a nice detail. That was cute. Yeah, no, I wrote cute date. Mom and sheriff, cute date. So I, I ship it. I support it. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep reading through it and it keeps saying the sheriff, the sheriff, the sheriff. I think they say hey, they say his name once. Yeah. yeah. I remember them his- saying his name. For the purposes of this, we're just going to refer to him as the sheriff, because that's basically what he is. Yeah. His character is sheriff. Although he has his own mysteries, which is interesting. Like, we still don't know a lot yet, but I almost don't want to know about the girl with the painted nails. Yeah, oh, his, his thing with that, I was curious. Yeah. It was interesting because I, we I was listening through it, and I was like, oh, man. Like, I kept thinking, like, the end of the book was going to be when they finished the, the treehouse, and it was like, wait, no, we're, we're only, like, partway through. I really want to continue this, so let's just. Move. I know, <laughs> like the fact that they this we wrapped up with them concluding the treehouse. It was a good spot to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they make a big deal about Christopher crossing the threshold and closing mm. the door. Like he jumping ahead a bit, but that's what we do in these discussions. He's crossed a threshold in more ways than one. Like mm-hmm. whatever they needed the treehouse for, whatever this, whatever forces needed him to be at the treehouse, he's now completed it. Now who knows what's going to happen to him. All bets are off. I thought the treehouse was going to be the climax, but you're right. I'm with you. I was so confused. I thought it was going to be a bigger, longer mm-hmm. drag drug out thing. I'm curious to see what happens after that too. Because yeah. if, you, if we're, we're not even a quarter of the way and we're stopping at the ending of building the treehouse, even though that's the summary basically says, uh, now he has to build a treehouse and he has to uh, get it before Christmas. Well, he's done it. So mm-hmm. what's what's everything that's going to happen between now and Christmas? And also, who wants him to build the treehouse? Is it the nice man or is it something else? Is the treehouse supposed to protect him? Or what I love is there's little interconnected details that keep repeating that we pick up on. Mm-hmm. But no, we have no frame of reference for it at the same time. We know about the hissing lady. We know about the cat that sounds like a baby. We know about, or the baby that sounds like a cat. Mm-hmm. We know about... Um, Death is coming, death is here, or I'll be dead by Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. We know about the plastic bag that is apparently representing the nice man. Can I, uh, I will interrupt my own self here to point out, I actually like the way that the author uses different text styles and different fonts to represent what's going on. Like actually playing with the text itself to give different impressions. Like whenever Christopher is talking to his imaginary friend, the nice man, the nice man uh, always talks in a smaller font never with quotations, and always in lowercase letters. Oh, that's fascinating, because I'm listening to the audiobook, so I don't get to see that. Oh, that's right, yeah. I hope I love this book enough that I decide to buy a copy, because I'm already, like, kind of wanting a coffee. One other thing that that, that jumped out to me, too, when I was reading it, was when, uh, when Christopher is first taken, like, when he goes into the coal mine, and the last thing he feels is a little kid's hand in the dark. Mm. 
the next few pages are literally just one word per page. And you have to turn the page where it says, Christopher Reese was not seen again for six days. That's one word per page. Oh, man. Turn the page. Reese. Next page. Was. that? It's like that. Oh, hot damn. That is so interesting. And I just, I'm trying to, like, I'm imagining it like that experience. Because I remember when I, when I was listening to it, because that line was just kind of read all at once. But it also, like... It hit me in a way of like, like, oh, I was like, I had a pause, whatever it was I was doing and be like, oh, shit, what? <laughs> the audiobook, I think, depicted had a, had a really good way of like getting you to pause and be like, oh, shit. But I feel like it, I missed out on something right there where it's like reading mm-hmm. it. You're like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I mean, so when it comes to the plastic bag and how it's typed up, it only makes me think like the bag is whispering yeah so i don't know in the audiobook does it sound like the bag whenever the bag talks that he's whispering or how does that sound uh it is a softer voice but i wouldn't really say whispering and i mean that could be it too softer also kind of interprets mm-hmm. just as well with like all lowercase about a couple fonts lower than the typical font yeah yeah that's true and it's interesting that of all the things that's a focal point for this, it's a plastic bag. Yeah. Just a white plastic bag. I was going to ask you guys with the plastic bag thing, is like, is that the same entity as the cloud? Because like you think, oh, wispy cloud across the sky. And then you also think white plastic bag just whiff across the sky. So it's kind of like almost the same imagery. That's actually one of the questions that um, one of our readers mentions. Actually, Dan or uh, Urkelbot does ask, what was everyone's take on the entities of the play? Do we all feel the plastic bag slash cloud slash nightman, uh, nice man, all represent one specific entity or maybe a collective? I don't know for sure. Uh, the thing where Bad Cat starts talking to him, I think, is giving me a hint that there's a collective because they keep talking about who who told you about the body. Or she'll be mad if she finds out, and then we'll all be in trouble. I, I do think there are multiple entities, but the question is, are, is the nice man, Cloud, and uh, Plastic Bag all one? I don't know, actually. I think the night I, I want to say yes right now, but it's hard to say what is le- legitimately trying to work with Christopher. I don't know how much of this is a trick. I don't know how much of this is... Like, right now what he's dealing with is pretty inscrutable. Mm-hmm. The only th- connection we have, we don't even know, we don't know what the hissing lady is. We just know she's a bad. She's some sort of bad. And uh, the nice man seems to be helping Christopher. But we don't know for sure. This is just my thought right now. But that could be proven long later. I think the nice man is the ghost or the echo or the what's left of David Olson. I think so too. Which explains why he he knew exactly where to tell Christopher the dig to find the skeleton. It, could that make sense why um, when he describes the nice man, he says he looks like an older man with white hair? Like as though David this would be David Olson 50 years from now? I, one thing that, yeah, exactly. And the other thing they most is that he said the nice man walked with a limp. Mm-hmm. Never in the prologue, David Olson hurts his foot. Oh! I mean... He hurts his foot climbing out the window to, to sneak to sneak out. That's, oh. And that whole situation is so dreamlike. We don't even know mm-hmm. what's going on at that point. But he's dealing with a lot of the same symptoms in a strange way as Christopher is slowly getting. That's not a bad theory. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you caught that. The way I put it down is I have Cloud, Bag, Nice Man, and David 
Olsen, <laughs> on on one side, <laughs> they're, they're 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 all connected. They're either all the same entity or are like working on the same team. And then I put hissing lady, death, and bad cat on like bad guy side. Yeah, nebulous nebulous bad entities, nebulous good entities. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you know what? Snakes, fucking oh, rattlesnakes. Oh. What, what? What? And, and deer. And de- yeah, there's always deer that appear. Too. We keep seeing deer, and now we have rattlesnakes. I don't fucking trust deer. Like they're fucking terrifying, <laughs> especially well, after like we read that one from uh, all the good Indians. Okay, yeah. but like, yeah. but I don't know if the deer are good or bad. I feel like in this there may be like a weird neutral zone because they do lead them to the tree, right? Well, that deer does lead them to the tree, but then also it was like kind of like. I don't know. I don't trust ears. <laughs> the interesting thing I'm realizing too is that whole grove seems to affect not just Christopher, but everybody who goes in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, look how it affects um, Special Ed and the M&Ms. And then mm-hmm. even look how it affects the sheriff. Even the sheriff makes a comment about he somehow feels smarter. Like he's more invested in this case after going through the Mission Street woods. I'm like, something about this place is influencing people. Because after Christopher is stuck in the woods for six days... He suddenly no longer has dyslexia. He's able to catch on to math even quicker. And then his mother wins the lottery. But I mean, he does ask the plastic bag, was that you? And the plastic bag says yes. And he thanks him. But if you want to help, if you want to thank me, you have to do me a favor. So that's where the treehouse comes in. So is the plastic bag the one? I think it's the tree. I think it's the tree because... We know he, he, somewhere David was like lost in the woods and he was probably at this tree for whatever amount of time. The majority of those six days that he doesn't remember. The other kids leave the plastic bag alone. And it's no, because uh, David tells them not to touch it, to leave it alone. But they're all working on the tree and then the sheriff does for a little bit, you know, touch the tree and is in that area. I think whatever is like making them smarter or more attentive and articulate is the tree... Um, and obviously it's affecting David the most, like he's, he's progressed the most intellectually because he was out there for so long. This whole area is interesting because there's so many weird little landmarks too. There's the Billy Goat Bridge, there's the tree itself, uh, there's, um, the refrigerator. And of course, I think the most, one of my favorite little details is the abandoned coal mine that's right next, right near there. I mean, knowing what I know about a certain famous Pennsylvania mine that's still on fire. Uh. <laughs> the woods are absolutely a character in themselves. Or itself, I guess. Yeah, the Mission Street the Mission Street Woods are absolutely a character. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really good. Like I I the whole character of this town is great. I love the little details. Like the as soon as um they started describing the house they were moving into. I'm like, oh wait, this is on this is on that same cul-de-sac that David Olson went down. <laughs> well, I mean, it does make it a point, or the writing does make it a point to humanize the woods. For example, that that tree looks like a hand coming out of the ground, and then when Christopher touches it, it feels like skin or like a human or flesh. Yeah. And then at the end of our Part three, which we just finished, a bird goes up high and sees the tree looking like an eyeball, a giant eyeball. The tree is the pupil and the clearing is the eyeball. And the the deer that are walking in a uniform circle around the tree are almost like brown flecks in in an eye. Mm -hmm. Like 
Well, people people keep describing how uncanny the woods are too. Even the sheriff notes like like the trees looked like almost too surreal this time of year. Like you know they kept talking about the fall colors and like how it was warmer in the woods and it was in the rest of the area. Mm-hmm. And like when the woods are good, they feel like almost too good to be true. Like stepping into a, like a like an enhanced version, like a fairy tale in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Like think about how often Christopher sees shooting stars when he's in the clearing. Think about how the moon is always shining like a bright lantern in the Mission Street woods. There's some sort of enhanced quality to it. And it could be, it could be that the reason we needed to have the treehouse is the treehouse. I'm going to like the way I'm thinking it's going to end up is the treehouse is more than just like a shelter. It might be a literal portal to some other world. And this is where maybe there's a weak point between this and some other place. Like a, like a fairy ring or something mm-hmm. along those lines, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, I, I can absolutely see that. I, again, there's so much in just the, even the first three parts that I'm just, I, I, I want to know more. Um, now, one of the things uh, that Dan slash Urkelbot brought up, because we mentioned that um, one of these entities include Bad Cat com- appearing on screen. And he, he pointed something out that made me kind of laugh. He said, how did you all feel about the scene where Christopher is having a conversation with Bad Cat through the TV? I had to grin as it reminded me of a lot of lost episode creepypastas. Oh my god, no, I had that thought too. <laughs> but it didn't veer too far in that direction. It's an effective tool, the whole interacting with the TV thing, but I'm afraid that some of us have become cynical from too much yeah. pasta. Yeah. I definitely had the thought, I was like, oh no, this has turned into a creepypasta. Well, based on that same point, is it bad that when they talked about doing the thing with the balloons, I immediately thought of Pen Yeah. <laughs> same. <laughs> same. Uh. I actually, when I first heard, uh, when you first said, oh, it's called Imaginary Friend, I'm not going to lie. My first thought was the premise was going to be uh, point of view of mother, kid is, says they have an imaginary friend, and then bad stuff happens, and the kid blames it on the imaginary friend, and then it turns your, out your the brain imaginary- went to the lowest common denominator yes. for that yeah. kind of story. Yes, yeah. I did, and it's nothing like that, and I'm so grateful. Um, actually, you know what the best version of that story is, and I had to look it up because it reminded me of this. So there's a short story called Charles, and I didn't realize it was written by Shirley Jackson. Oh. So the whole premise is just uh, a mother and her child is named Lori, and Lori would come back and be like, oh, I, I, there's a kid in this class named Charles. He does bad stuff, and he just keeps listing all these terrible things Charles does, and she's like, why are you friends with this kid? And he's like, because he's funny, and da, da, da. And then the, it ends with her at a teacher-parent conference, and she's like, oh, yeah, Lori won't stop talking about Charles. And they're like, Charles, there's no Charles in our class. Ends there. Nice. There's no magical effect. There's nothing like that. That just It's just a very open-ended, like, oh. How do you interpret that? Who knows? Yeah. That's good. Mm. But to yeah, the I, thing with Bad Cat. Yeah, I could see that, too. But unlike Creepypasta, this was handled in a way where we, we built up to it. Because we had established that Bad Cat was something that Christopher was into for a mm-hmm. while. And it's, mm-hmm. it factors into a lot of his personality. So because it's not the central focus, because in a bad creepypasta, this would be the focus. Yes. Yeah. In a bad creepypasta, bad cat would turn to Christopher and say like, I am 666 or something well, stupid like that. I think whatever bad entity is out there or whatever evil entity knows that 
Christopher is a huge fan of Bad Cat and is utilizing this. I, I don't mm -hmm. think of it as Bad Cat is the evil entity. No. I think of, that they're utilizing the television or, mm -hmm. or even Christopher's perspective it assumes this a shape like even in in the prologue uh david olsen uh hears what he thinks is the voice of his his mother his grandmother yes the hissing lady pretends and the thing that wants to get him even pretends to be something he likes something that he trusts or something that he has yeah trust in because like why would why would david think oh bad cat's bad <laughs> the funny thing is listening to the premise of bad cat it does it sounds like a bad heathcliff knockoff honestly seven-year-olds like there's some stuff i remember when i was seven that i thought was awesome and then rewatch it as an adult and i think to myself why the princess and the goblin is trash oh my gosh <laughs> I look, that's one of those things that mm -hmm. I thought was, oh, that's such a, that was so good. And then I rewatched it, I'm like, no. It does have some impressive multi-pane camera work. It does. I'll say that much. But <laughs> anyway, point being. We're not here. For, this is not our animation podcast. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, we know we haven't spoken about Catherine. Mary Catherine. Oh, yeah. Oh, Mary Catherine. I feel so bad for her. I love the fact that <laughs> there's a point where it says, she saw the kid and said, oh, thank God. <laughs> she had an excuse. It was great. I feel this. I, I feel for Mary Catherine immensely. Her boyfriend's an idiot. Yeah. yeah. But I think the moment I, that sticks with me is like just how tightly wound she is because of her horrible Bible thumping parents. I, I gotta give props. That's when you know the sheriff was a good guy because he's like seeing Mary Catherine basically being berated by her parents even though she just basically found a lost kid. Yeah. Well, we get the impression that he has come from similar family. Like he had an aunt that raised him that was a, the same. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of cynicism. This is It's not a perfect small town and people definitely have their, their issues. But what I like is that people are still basically human. Mm -hmm. Segwaying from that a little bit uh, I like the I like the relationship between all the parents. Yeah, you know, like um, 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 Eddie's, especially, par especially Eddie's parents. parents and uh, the M&M's two moms and Kate. Like they all form this like kind of friendship, and then and then like there's there's old Ambrose who's like amazing and fun to read about. And <laughs> I love Ambrose he, so we get a much. Bit, and now we we had that fucking bomb dropped on him that he's David Wilson's older brother. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh my god. And there's that whole urban legend about the, the tape recorder in the baby carriage that turned out to be real because of the police reports. Now, I, I, I'm not going to lie. If I were to just state out loud what these characters are, people might think, well, don't they feel like stereotypes? Because, yeah, you have the rich family that are assholes and the single mother who's struggling to make ends meet with her child. Like, it, it could go through a whole stereotype but it doesn't it like a worse writer would actually fall into that yeah but instead you feel for these characters you feel for um mary catherine you feel for kate i mean they can be a stereotype but in this case they're well written so yes. they're engaging the only characters we don't know much about in terms of the, what I, the ones i've mentioned are actually the uh the the two moms weirdly enough mm-hmm Sage and Virginia. Sage is the uh, more quiet, like, intellectual one, and Virginia was a little more outgoing. They're, like, opposites, I guess. Yeah, one of them is vegan, and one of them's a carnivore. 
Yeah, that's right. This is starting to sound like your mom and Okay. <laughs> yeah. In a lot of ways, yeah. Okay, okay, I gotta throw this in real quick with the twins, with Matt and Mike. Okay, actually, I want to make note of the fact that Matt, who is the, the one that looks up to his older brother more, uh, had a dream of his brother dying, and I'm like, ooh, no, that would make me sad. But also... Mm-hmm. I am convinced that Matt has a little crush on Chris, and I ship it and fight me. <laughs> oh, we're like he's like I want him to be my best friend, but I'll settle for being second in his best friend group and like just like little kid crush that doesn't even know it's a crush. What cracks me up is when Special Ed's like, "Hey, my dad might get me Showtime," and that has naked ladies on it. <laughs> well, there's that whole thing where um, Christopher's like, "My mom is a uh, pack fist." Do you mean a pacifist? Yeah, how did you know that? My dad hates him. <laughs> <laughs> have, have we noticed how much of this is couched around? Like, people keep talking about the Middle East, too. Like, that's the talk of the day for a lot of it. They keep they keep referencing The Tonight Show and it, pray for the refugees from the Middle East. And, like, we're definitely getting a place in time without them setting ever stating the year, which mm-hmm. is interesting. But Mary Catherine. Mary Catherine. I feel bad for it because um, one of the tough situations is she's volunteering at where kate works which is the uh shady shady pines it's like a yeah like a nursing home and um kate tries to say go for the kitchen go for the kitchen and unfortunately her and her boyfriend end up they have to directly take care of miss collins mother who has incredible dementia, but also knows that death is coming, death is here, we'll all be dead by Christmas Day. One of the things I was kind of confused by, is it connected to the hospital, like Shady Pines Retirement Home? Because there's a point where Christopher wakes up from his hospital bed and runs into Mrs. Collins and Ambrose. Mm-hmm. Was it was it Mrs. Collins? I thought it was, or, a, this or, was a different, no, this or, was a different or no, no, it's batty a, old lady. This is a batty, another batty old lady, never mind. I thought it was. I thought it was I don't think it was the same one because he said Mrs. Kayser or something. I thought I wrote down Greaser. Greaser. I don't know if that's correct, but that's what I heard, so that's what I wrote down. I wasn't. I was. I wrote that down as a question. I was like, wait, is this the same old lady as Miss Collins' mother? I think I'm confused about that too. Okay, there, I am with you about the confusion about plays because it seemed like a bunch of the characters we meet at the nursing home later, mostly specifically Ambrose, are at the hospital. Maybe this was just because time has passed and he was out of the hospital because. And is back in the nursing home because we jump ahead in time a few times. Um, like we're already like post Thanksgiving at, at this point. But by the time that um, they got there, uh, you know, when when Kate and uh, Christopher got there, it was I want to say early October. Mm-hmm. It's Mrs. Kaiser, Kaiser, M- Mrs. Kaiser. It's spelled K E I Z E R. Sounds like Kaiser, but or K. Mm. Mm. Or did you 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 say that it was geezer? I greaser. I wrote. I don't know. Well, you were listening Some, to it. Yeah, so. I was listening to it, so I just wrote down what I heard, and I only heard it a couple times, and then I was like, oh, I should write this shit down. It's all good. But okay, so I think with Ambrose, it might have been just like a hospital, and maybe the like, nursing facility is nearby. I don't know. We can just make that assumption. But like with Mr. Ambrose, it would make, make sense that he was in the hospital, because we know that he's suffering um, from, what is it called, cataracts in his eyes? Yes. Yeah. He's going blind. So... He would have been in the hospital getting a checkup, and that way he was there. And then we know he just went back recently because he had that experimental surgery. Was it in the middle of the night, though? Well, he hadn't had the surgery yet. Yeah. Oh, okay. Surgery came later. Okay. 
Yeah, he was just checked into the hospital at the time. Because when we find out that he had the surgery, he's like back at their retirement home or the nursing home. Yeah, he's got his eyes bandaged. And that's when the sheriff tells him that they found um, his little brother's skeleton. <laughs> I do have other questions. Um, okay. I, I just, I, want, I, want, I have one more, one, la- one last point to make about Mary okay. Catherine. He touched my boob and I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a dork. <laughs> I know. I feel bad for her. She can do so much better than Doug. Yeah, she really could. <laughs> I already um, made the points by Dan, and we do have a few questions from Bringer. Uh, mm-hmm. He said he's really loving the book so far. He's wondering if the missing girl on the milk is related to what's going on. I'm thinking the missing girl is the girl with the painted nail polish. Maybe, although doesn't the sheriff directly look at that and say that it's not? Yeah, oh. he comments on like how the picture is updated and whoever is behind that search has the means to keep that relevant. Mm-hmm. She's going to be important. Yeah, because it, it gets getting brought up with the missing girl on the milk carton. So he is also wondering why Chris was chosen. Like, why is it 50 years later and why is he the next person? There's still a lot we don't understand about how this entity works. Mm-hmm. So apparently, Chris can hear the nice man. Maybe David was the only one who could hear him prior. So it's been 50 years since nice man has found anybody who can actually listen to him. Yeah, like maybe other people couldn't hear him. But mm-hmm. I mean, for all we know, though, Christopher's just not. Christopher just happens to be the the next profile one to disappear into the woods. I mean could be that the missing girl also is maybe was disappeared just before Christopher got there. Mm-hmm. I got the impression that this girl is missing from another town. Yeah, but she they keep making a point of her. She's got to be involved in this story somehow. Mm-hmm. He also thought the same thing. He was surprised that the tree building happens in the first quarter and he thought it would like occur throughout the whole book too. So he's very intrigued to see what happens. Mm-hmm. So he was with us there. But also, he said, when I read that the Collins family owned half the town and were important people, my first thoughts were, what did they do to cause what's happening? Like, oh, like, does the Collins family have a hand in this somehow? Or it's, it's kind of like the, the trap of like, oh, the, uh, the rich family are like ancestors of like the people who settled the town, who like did something super offensive to like the natives or something. And that's what's cursed this town kind of thing. Is it bad that I immediately think of the Northwests from Gravity Falls? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's kind of that vibe. <laughs> There's going to be a ghostly lumberjack that shows up <laughs> and it's going to be voiced by, uh, oh gosh, Kevin Michael Richardson. I- I'm thinking more of the Collins are more of just another... Um, not antagonists they're a obstacle because they're trying to take down the mission woods yeah or mission hill woods which i don't think is evil that the woods aren't evil because there is a magical quality to it but there's something in there that might be evil or that is evil right now i don't think there's gonna be like like i don't think the collins are gonna be like the bad guy or like secretly responsible behind anything i feel like there is some kind of entity that is the antagonist, which is the big bad. And I feel like there's other characters that are going to be obstacles or allies along the way. And the Collins, I think, will be an obstacle. I think, uh, what's her name? The girl that says floods, Jenny, is either going to be like an obstacle or like will be the girl that joins the group, mm-hmm. you know? I guess we'll see. Yeah. It's like, I, we could theorize more and more, but I feel like we'll only know if we keep reading. 
Yeah, I think uh, this might be a good place to call it, to be honest, for the discussion for now. I've said what I want to say, and I just want to, I just want to know more. <laughs> and there is more, thankfully. One last question, um, and I actually have a question of my own. Speak, so there is a point where Chris accidentally thinks that the market price means the cheapest. And it's a little kid logic. So <laughs> he says, I ordered the lobster because it said market price. <laughs> and he said, uh, what was everyone's kid logic thing growing up? So like, was there something as a kid you thought this was something so you just automatically believed it? I mean... I'm not going to say like Santa Claus or Tooth Fairy. I I think. No, that... like the, like just something you just assume. Yeah. Or yeah, the kid, kid logic. Yeah, basically. Um, one of the things I, uh, cause this actually became a discussion on our discord. And one of the things I said was I used to think Beetlejuice was the, the singer of another one bites the dust. I don't, I actually have an idea why I thought that, but it was just like a dumb logic that I thought at five or six years old, like clearly this fictional character saying this song. I remember thinking that Indiana Jones, uh, was from China. Because I only saw a little bit of Temple of Doom at one point. And since it, since in my little kid brain, since it opened in, you know, I believe it was Hong Kong. I don't know. Yes, yes. Since it opened where it did, I'm like, oh, this must be where Indy's from. <laughs> I have been trying to think of something this whole episode. And I honestly, I had to have had something silly like that. But I cannot remember for the life of me. If I think of one, maybe I'll, I'll tweet it out. <laughs> Fair <sometime>. enough. <laughs> oh, oh, actually, I do have one. I can't believe I believed this as a kid, because now looking back, it's so dumb. I had kids once tell me that how children get ADHD is if the umbilical cord was around their neck when they're <laughs> born. Oh, my God. No, here's the... It, then someone expanded upon that and said no if it's around your neck once you get adhd if it was around it twice you get add <laughs> oh my god i i remember totally just believing this as a kid and it just escaped my mind until i got older and i'm like wait that's completely not even true <laughs> i just thought back to it it wasn't like something that i looked up to see if it was real it's just i got older I learned more as a, and then just thought back and remembered that and was like, of course it's not real. <laughs> I remember uh, being scammed out of Pokemon cards because people convinced me these sh super shiny um, Japanese cards were like God Pokemon. It turned out they were just stickers that you could, <laughs> that were meant to look like Pokemon Aww. cards. Yeah. Oh, poor young David. Yeah. Well, poor baby David. I kept most of the, my rare ones still. That's, I think that's why I got very possessive of my cards after that. <laughs> I do want to bring up one more thing about the book before yes. we wrap up, because I want to address it a little bit more, is this divide that is happening between Chris and his mother, oh, yeah. where I think what's causing it is this sudden, this like sudden uh, jump of in intelligence inside of Chris, where he is like, like kids eventually they start to mature and they start to change when they start to grasp like the reality of like the world around them. And that is happening so fast inside of Chris 
like it's even described like he thinks a nice man is this plastic bag but he's also like suddenly wise enough now to realize like okay i might be crazy because i'm talking to a freaking plastic mm-hmm. bag and like so he like just that part where he like recognizes like is able to like read the bills and understands like how much debt his mother is in fuck that fuck, that hit me so hard oh, mm-hmm. yeah like his excitement to just get mcdonald's hit me so hard because i was like i get you kid i get you i've been there but like <laughs> so i really feel for his mother because it's like she's not recognizing her son anymore and she doesn't understand why and it's just like oh because like normally that would be such a slow process of like seeing your kids start to like really see the world but it's happening too fast and cute she's no stranger to tragedy either look what happened to her husband mm-hmm. oh yeah mm-hmm. there's an interesting sort of seven-year-old mindset but i almost wonder if it's a through line for the story of like what it means to be a man in a weird way with christopher it's a good point to bring up, though, at the mm. end there, because that's it is really important to recognize how much of the story hinges on the relationship. Because they have a, I, I love the relationship between Kate and, mm-hmm. and Christopher. Oh, absolutely, it's very realistic, especially like single mother caring for her seven year old kid, and basically they only have each other to depend on. She had to go so far for him too. I mean, when we when we first tune in with them, they're fleeing in a, an abusive relationship. I'm really curious to see like how that's going to progress. Me too. If if like the divide is going to get further, they're going to like end up further apart, or like that'll break my heart. I'm like, oh no. And then also, yeah. will so. will Jerry show up? Yes, because we we find out that he is now looking for, or Bad Cat says that he's lo- that he's looking for them. And I was super worried when it was like she Kate was describing like how she didn't want to be in the newspaper about winning the lottery money, but they let she let um. Chris's picture be in the photo uh, or in the paper and I was like no what if Jerry finds you with that and he like wants the money or some shit like that mm-hmm. so I'm concerned I don't know I don't think Bad Cat was lying when he said that I mean yeah you have a point I just thinking about that it's like yeah actually Bad Cat I mean Bad Cat could be saying that in order to try and convince Christopher to listen to him that his mother because that was the main thing like you do this or your mother's going to get hurt mm-hmm. tell tell me this or your mother is gonna get hurt mm-hmm. yeah I, it's hard to know because, again, we don't know what this entity is. I think what it, it could be that it actually, Jerry is actually looking for him, but it also could be his way of saying, I know this much about you. I know who Jerry is and I know yeah. how to use it against you. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we know that the nice man or the cloud or such is able to manipulate forces in that chris's math score or math answers was the lottery numbers is this other hissing lady or bad cat entity or whatever the opposing force is are they also able to manipulate things where like oh jerry ran out of gra- gas and just so happened to like pull into town for to fill up his tank you know kind of oh, thing you know i wonder because i i think that the the woods is what caused uh his intelligence or yes. his sudden like glow up I, so but what, I, and what about the headaches what's causing the headaches I think that's just a side effect of like his brain maturing too quickly oh mm. yeah those woods probably made him smart a bit too quickly so as a result now he like he's probably getting headaches as a result but then the headaches go away when he works on the it's, um, it's something that's pushing him to do it mm-hmm. I think oh man hey gang we're going to put this to a poll still, I think. But yes. I think the three of us, we're leaning toward wanting to keep reading this. Yes. yes. 
Uh, so the other book that we are thinking of reading. And we will read it eventually. Yes. We are thinking of reading Fever Dream by Samantha Schweblin. It's a short novella. If you get the audiobook, the audiobook is only three hours long. But I don't mind holding off yes. to read another part of this book, though. I don't either. <laughs> yeah, I was really enjoying when we did our last big one, which was Let the Right One In. Mm-hmm. But this has gripped me even more than that one did. Same, actually. <laughs> I, I really love the book. I have a copy of that book. I might end up with a copy of this book, too. We'll see. But yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll tweet out a poll uh when when this episode goes out be like keep reading or take a break like and let us know yes i'll have the poll last for a week so that way we'll still have enough time to like read more before then we'll probably start (laughs) reading more yeah but sounds good if you like what you hear please check out our other podcasts and other works on creative horror uh at creativehorror.com or check us out at uh creative horror on youtube uh, you can listen to other podcasts like Undercooked Analysis and past episodes of The Witching Hour. Until then, this is, well, this is actually the first uh, episode of the new year of 2022. Oh, you're right. So. Yeah. Hey. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year, everybody. And please be careful walking out in the woods during winter. And please, please uh, you know, dear... Give deer a wide berth. Don't hit any deer with your car. Please, for the love of God. <laughs> Even if you're late to pass your curfew. God will punish you by sending a deer at your car. <laughs> Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinera, and this podcast is part of creativehorror.com a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at creativehorror.com. <laughs>